Our reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 4 through 13. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anyone in here like to go camping, like as a, like for fun, like on purpose? Anybody? A few of you. I, I wish I liked camping. Um, it's hard for me to nail down the exact moment I decided to never go camping again. Because uh, honestly, there are a few stories I could tell. But this one, I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it is up there. It is up there. It's in the running. So I went camping, and I think it was like middle school uh, with my class. And it was like a, a science nature discovery thing. And we stayed in cabins, so it wasn't too intense. And we were up in the mountains, and the first few days went really, really well. It was fun. And on our last night, what the guides decided to do was take us on a night hike, which, which is exactly how it sounds. It's, it's a hike at night. And uh, it was fun. You know, we all had our flashlights, and it's a well-marked trail, and we're going along, and it's all that stuff. But about halfway through, the guide stopped us and said, listen, for the last quarter mile, we want you to walk alone. So we'll go ahead, we'll meet you at the end of the trail, and one of us is going to release you one at a time to walk this trail alone. And by the way, we're going to take your flashlights. You're going to do it in the dark. Now, I don't know if you've been in the mountains, in the woods, away from everything. Okay, no street lights, no landmarks, no big buildings. It gets really dark. So when my turn came, you know, I was with my friends, so I, I put on a, a strong face. But, I, but when I got on that trail, I, alone in the dark, I was, I was freaked out. I was, I was ready for a bear or a mountain lion or a zombie or a vampire to come out and to just end me right there. I was, sh I, I mean, I, I kid you not, at least 10 times on that quarter mile, I, I was convinced I was lost. I was convinced I'm, I'm never going to find my way. They're never going to find me. I'm going to die alone in the woods in the dark. This is how I end. So that, I don't, so that was probably the moment I decided <laughs> I didn't like camping anymore. And it, make, it makes sense because we humans have an interesting relationship to darkness, don't we? It's complicated. On the one hand, darkness is like the most universal scary thing ever. There, there, there probably isn't a human civilization or culture or person or child who has not, at some point in their lives, looked out into darkness, even just the darkness of their own bedroom, and thought, this is scary, I don't like it. It's elemental, the darkness is. But at the same time, darkness is also, for pretty much everybody, a symbol 
of hiding, of covering up, of getting away with something. So as human beings, we are on the one hand afraid of the dark, but on the other, we love it when we need it. When we need it to retreat, to hide, to do evil. There's a reason that things like crime and violence, right, things like that happen predominantly at night. It's the same reason your mom told you nothing good happens after 10 p.m., okay, the darkness. John, in his gospel, as we've been looking at his gospel these last few weeks, he knows this. He knows our relationship to the dark, how we fear it for all the right reasons and how we love it for all the wrong reasons, which is why, if you noticed in the scripture we just read a few moments ago, he tells us that Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. He's not a light, but the true light who gives life to humanity. That's how John puts it. So how is Jesus the light in our darkness? Well, that's what John's going to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in your New Testament, uh, chapter 1. You can see in particular here in this section, in verse 5, how John sets up this metaphor of light and darkness. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a part of what scholars call John's prologue, which really runs from about verse 1 to verse 18. You might have it marked out that way in your translation. And it works like an overture in music. So if you're familiar, in the overture, a bunch of themes are introduced that you'll hear again later in the piece. This is exactly how John's prologue works. He introduces themes that he will develop Uh, and riff on throughout the rest of his gospel. He'll come back to the theme of light and darkness is no different. He will come back to this again and again and again. But you hear it here first. And what John is going to do first with this picture is remind us that the world can be a very dark place. It can be a very dark place. The image of my camping experience Right, scared little Andrew stumbling alone in the dark, completely lost, is not terribly different from John's conception of the human condition. We are all of us born into a dark and scary world. Most of us probably don't need a lot of convincing on this point. You can find a lot of darkness in the world without trying very hard. In fact, just these next two weekends, we are remembering and commemorating two horrific darknesses that we still do battle with today. The, the darkness of, of the evil of racism we, we prayed about, and slavery and oppression, which the civil rights movement confronted and Dr. King confronted, and which still ripple in our world today, and the darkness of abortion. Next weekend is the Sanctity of Life Sunday, and the death of millions of innocent children in the name of sexual freedom. And that's just two things. That's, that's just two that doesn't mention the darkness of COVID or our divisions as a country or the, or the darkness of our own stories that each of us bring to this room right now. Family histories and relationships, all of it. I, I probably don't need to point out that even the briefest reflection on your own life will reveal a darkness that you are still dealing with today. Right now, this very moment, the world can be a very dark place. And into that dark place, John says, Jesus shines like light. And the darkness has not overcome it. 
Again, John is going to develop this all the way to Jesus' death and resurrection and the empty tomb at the end of this book, which proves that the darkness has not overcome the light despite its its best efforts. But one I want us to notice now is that the darkness is trying to overcome the light. It won't win, but it's working really hard. There is a darkness. There's a presence behind the darkness in our world that is fighting the light. This is a part of John's point that he will develop. And I know as as modern Western people, uh, we often don't conceive of the world this way. It's not something that passes through our minds often. It's not something that we like to acknowledge. That's not true all over the world, but it's certainly, it's true of our culture for the most part. But you ask almost anyone who has confronted real evil and darkness in their life, and they will tell you, yes, there is a darkness behind the darkness. There's a darkness that the Apostle Paul names the principalities and powers in his epistles, if you've read those. And what John will call similarly in his gospel, the world, the cosmos in the Greek. And the idea behind these concepts are that there are systems and structures in the world that perpetuate and promote evil. And fundamentally what they do is they try to convince us that what God calls evil is actually good. And what God calls good is actually evil. There's a, in other words, there, there's a structure and an intention. It's not an accident that, for example, in modern Western culture, that there's a push to define ourselves increasingly by our sexuality. So much so that we celebrate when people liberate themselves from their own families and their own marriages and children in the name of self-fulfillment. There's an intention there that's, that's always been a part of the darkness. There's a gravity encouraging and delighting in our divisions and our hatreds and our increasing animosity toward one another as sociological study after study after study has shown is happening. There is an intention, a will, a design behind the idolatries that we read about in the ancient world. And we scratch our heads and we think, why would they ever worship and do those things? We're doing the same thing. It's always how it's been. But more than that, there's a person even behind those systems and structures, behind that darkness. And John will talk about him too. The devil, Satan, the accuser, he opposes Jesus and his light everywhere he can. And again, I know that this can offend our modern sensibilities, but it will only do so right up until we are confronted by real evil in the world. I've quoted this before, but I think it bears repeating uh, this was from a book uh, from one, uh, uh, Romeo Dallaire. He was a peacekeeping general during the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s. He wrote a book about his experience there. If you're not familiar, if you don't remember, you know, he was one of several who witnessed the, the, the mass murder of women, men, and children, probably close to a million people in Rwanda in the span of several months. And he said this after the fact. This is his reflection. I know there is a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him, I've smelled him, and I've touched him. I know the devil exists, right? He knows there's a darkness behind the darkness. 
and Jesus came to confront him. And perhaps we're here and you're nodding along so far, but John is not done talking about the darkness and how it works. Yes, there's a darkness out there, truly, that we've all confronted and we've all suffered from in our own lives in various ways. But John will remind us too that sometimes the greatest darkness is actually within. There's a darkness here too. This isn't just a problem with the world and the devil, it's us. And right away, John wants us to see and acknowledge that darkness. You see it in verse 9. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, John is letting us know right off the bat that the light came into the darkness and the first thing everybody did was shield their eyes and fumble for the light switch. Turn it off. Go away. Because as much as we hate the darkness, and we do, we need it. We need it to cover up the reality of who we really are. This is true across time, space, geography, and culture. There is a part of us as human beings that loves the darkness more than the light, that needs to convince ourselves and everyone around us that we are okay, we're good people. Just don't look too closely. Don't turn the lights up. And when the light shows up, when Jesus breaks through in our lives, there's a part of each of us that does not want him to. There's a part that feels, yes, Jesus, turn the lights on to this dark world, make it better, but do not shine so brightly on me. There's a part of us that knows deep down that the darkness we hate out there lives in here too whether we want to look at it or acknowledge it, act on it or not, we know. In fact, when we begin to examine some of the most horrific events in world history, I mean, think about this with me. Things like the Holocaust, Rwandan genocide, the Soviet regime of the last century, just to name a few. I mean, we are talking about millions and millions and millions of people killed in the last hundred years. It's incredible. We are talking about the worst evils the world has known at a scale unimaginable for most of human history, right? And when you look at how it happened, when you read the history and say, how did this happen? Who let this happen? You see ordinary people, normal people, people not unlike you and I, some of whom were church-going, Bible-reading, small group facilitating people, perpetrating some of the worst of all of it. Even if you examine our own national history, our worst sins as a nation, the evils like slavery and Jim Crow, you begin to see it was ordinary people, Christians even, self-proclaimed Christians, who hated the light of the civil rights movement so much even though it was rooted in the kingdom ethic of Jesus. The evidence of history is, is clear. 
this should be incredibly sobering to us. It is to me. It's like, how did this happen? Well, us. That's how it happens. There is a darkness within us, too. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was confronted by the darkness as well, he was a political prisoner in the gulag. He understood that darkness. He was a victim of it. But his, mo- his most important lesson he drew, this is from his book. This is what he said. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? See, this is, this is what John is saying. This is how the light of the world can show up and the darkness does not receive him. You and I, in a sense, are the last puzzle piece of how the darkness of the world works. The devil is the liar. The Bible calls him the father of all lies. He's fundamentally a liar. He whispers to the world, you just need more money or pleasure or security or safety or the right morals. Just eat the fruit and then you won't need God anymore. And the world justifies the lie. It normalizes it. It promotes it. It celebrates it even. But the flesh, okay, our sinful nature as human beings makes it desirable. I want that. I'm tempted by that. It's that flesh part that John will talk about later in chapter 3. He'll say the light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The world can be a very dark place. But we humans are are often or always a part of the problem. And it's like a never-ending cycle in human history. (laughs) You've got the devil, the world, the flesh. The devil, the world, the flesh. Over and over and over again. And it's a hopeless situation. It's absolutely hopeless from a human perspective. There is nothing that will break through that cycle of darkness. Not the right political system or politician or educational program or technological advancement. None of it. Think about this with me. We are, I think, I don't even think it's debatable. We are living today at the pinnacle of human achievement right now in world history, right? We can do more. We know more than anyone else that's come before us. Do you sense the darkness has gone away? I don't. If you're lost and alone in the dark, what do you need? Do you need need someone to hand you a dictionary? You can read your way out of this, right? An engineering lesson? The voter's guide? No. You need light. You need light. The only hope in the darkness is the light. Okay, this is what John says. And he says that light has a name. And it's Jesus. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that true light came into the world. And to all who would receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. This is the promise that John wants us to understand. That the world is a dark place. And that our own hearts are darker still. But that the light has come. And there's life in his name. He can break the cycle. 
And I think that there are three implications here I want us to think about in light of what John is saying, depending on where you are this morning, okay? First, receive the light. Receive the light. You have to. John makes this abundantly clear. You can either receive or reject the light. That's it. Now, it's kind of weird in some ways to imagine that you can reject light. Like, you have to work really hard to reject light. It's just there. You have to leave the room, close your eyes, bury your head in the pillow. But you can do that. You can. On the other hand, to receive the light, all you have to do is open your eyes. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children of light. And if you've not done that, if you're here and you've not done that, maybe today is the day. Confess your sin to him, your own personal darkness that you bring to the world, and let him open your eyes to the light. Say to Jesus, I'm yours. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And start with me. Okay, receive the light. We all have to start there. Receive the light. Second, walk in the light. Stay in the light. You can't receive the light and then continue to walk in darkness. John, the same author who wrote 1 John, as, as wrote this gospel, he addresses this in 1 John chapter 1. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Imagine with me, we're back on that trail where we started the pitch black and we open our eyes and we see the light. We see him. We know exactly where he is and we walk straight up to him. And he hands us a flashlight, and we say, nah, I'm good. And we walk back out into the darkness. The absurdity of that is what John's getting at. That's the picture he's painting. If we receive the light, if we're found by the light, then we walk by it. We take that flashlight, and we shine it everywhere we encounter darkness, and we live in obedience to its guidance on our path. That's what light does in dark places. We walk in the light. And if we can do that, we can shine our light. We can shine the light for others. I promise you back on that trail, the poor kids behind me waiting to walk, if I had turned on even the smallest flashlight, they would have rejoiced and followed me wherever I took them. Right? The smallest light can drive out the deepest darkness. That's how it works. Martin Luther King put it profoundly. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And I think he got this lesson from John, the apostle. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And there are a lot of ways that can look in our lives. I want to remind you or to consider a few. First, in your own lives and vocations where God has you right now, which is as diverse as this room right now. Where God has you now, there's darkness there. If we look for it, if we pay attention to it, there's an opportunity there to use your influence to shine light. And maybe 
something you need to consider is what a little light could do in those dark places in your life. Second, we, we partner with amazing organizations whose mission is to fight the darkness, the darkness of inequality, poverty, abortion, oppression, all over our city and world, seriously. And, and maybe serving with them is a next step for you to shine more light. But what, what right now, I want us to do something together. And Don hinted at this earlier this morning. I want us to pray for more people in our lives to receive the light, to have their eyes opened to the beauty of Jesus and his invitation of grace on their life. As a church family, we've talked about this several times, we are committed to 90 days of prayer for nine specific people in each of our lives for 90 seconds a day, 10 seconds a person. And each Sunday during these 90 days, we're going to take time together to actually do this. 90 seconds of prayer in this room right now to pray for our nine. If you haven't yet uh, figured out who your nine are, that's okay. Maybe take this moment to, to prayerfully ask God, okay, who should I be praying for? But for those of you who have those people you're praying for, bring them to mind now that they would see the light of the world step down into darkness and to show us our way home. So let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, hear our prayers. We lift these image bearers, these people whom you love more than we ever will, we lift them to you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, shine your light through us. As we live in love toward one another, as we fight injustice, as we love our enemies, serve our neighbors, and share the good news of Jesus, through your power, may we brighten up this dark world because we know the light has come. Even though we rejected the light and hung him on a cross, the darkness has not and cannot overcome him. For out of the empty tomb, the light burst forth, and that light changes everything.
May it begin with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close this time with a picture of what I'm describing better than I could say in words. Of what it means to see someone accept the light coming into the world. A few weeks ago, we celebrated our baptism as a church family. And I want you to see these people, these family members of ours, who are proclaiming out loud their allegiance to the light. And just look at the smiles on their faces. Let's watch.